think the other big part of it in the endurance world, again, regardless of your medium, is that at some point you're going to run into some proper discomfort. And that's going to happen, again, regardless of what sport you're pursuing. And so being able to be prepared for that moment, to be aware of what happens specifically for you in that moment of discomfort or mounting fatigue, and then being skillful to be able to manage that is ultimately going to be the deciding factor in an endurance sport, whether or not you continue or whether or not you decide to slow down or stop. Welcome to the Low Tide Boys, a swim run podcast. I'm Chip. And I'm Chris, and this is episode 193 of the show. We've got a great one for everyone this week. Joining us in Studio G is Dr. Justin Ross. He's a sports psychologist out of Colorado and someone who we've been talking a lot about on the show since we learned about him on the Morning Shakeout podcast back in January, February timeframe. We had this conversation right before leaving for Sweden, and it seems fitting to share this upon our return because I think there were some lessons from that conversation that turned out to be very helpful on the day. <laughs> it was a, it was a uh, useful piece for us. Just got to apply it right away. Um, but yeah, Dr. Ross is great. I've been a big fan of his work since discovered him. And yeah, can't wait to share it with all yeah, of you. It's amazing. But first, training update. So it, it's really nice to say there's no longer a 70-kilometer Attila-sized elephant in the room. We can get back to a more realistic training volume. Soul-filling rather than soul-crushing. <laughs> No rest for the worry, though. Chris is uh, he's headed to Massachusetts for the inaugural swim run Cape Cod. Yeah. So this must I'm sure folks are waiting with bated breath. How is the how is the hip, the leg? Yeah the 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 quad is doing better. Quad. It's doing better. It's a lovely multicolor uh, psychedelic bruising right nice. now. Everything from yellows and greens and Ooh. purples. It's it's lovely. Um, but yeah, feeling better. I'm going to try running, uh, shortly, yeah. <laughs> see how that goes. Test it out. But, uh, but yeah, and true to form, I don't know what's been going on this year. Maybe we just have like bad weather juju, but it, you know, there could be like a hurricane I uh, saw hitting the coming, coming in. So, <laughs> or at least like a really strong storm. So we'll see what happens, but it'd be a wet one. Yeah. Windy and rainy at the very least, but it's excited. I'm in the Facebook group for the the Swim Run Cape Cod, and people are really stoked out there. People, I saw someone, not the Dirksen, saying, I'm going to do a swim run at Walden Pond. Anyone want to join? And I'm like, oh, I know some people who you'll see there. <laughs> nice. But now on to this week's shout out. Yeah, we're giving a blanket shout out this week to everyone that reached out to us to either wish us well in Sweden and or checked in on us afterwards. I mean, we mentioned it often that it's always super humbling to see all the support that we receive from everyone. And you know, we appreciate it way more than we can adequately express. But yeah, it's just always just so amazing how many people were, especially once like the word of my injury, people hitting me up, giving me unsolicited yeah. medical advice, <laughs> treatment protocols, were they all writing kinds prescriptions of stuff. for you. <laughs> no, I should have asked. You should but, have kind uh, of got some prescriptions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's just always amazing. Um, you know the people even care. Basically, it's <laughs> much appreciated. Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome and so cool to see a lot of people that we've either had on as guests, have chatted to on Instagram or wherever we we've chatted with you to see you out there, racing, cheering, volunteering, media, whatever. Yeah, it's just so it's such a cool experience for us, and it's like oh, I wish we could do this. You know, more than just once. You know, once a year kind of thing, like. But um, yeah, really awesome to see folks. Now to this week's feats of endurance. So we're going to roll this theme right on going. And we're giving a blanket award to everyone that raced and volunteered at Atala last weekend. We've said it before, but it obviously is worth repeating that everybody lines up at the start of this race, gets all of our respect, regardless of outcome on the day. Even finish, I mean... Just to have the stones to to be out there in the, yeah, the start line is good just enough. Lining for, up, good enough just for lining us. up, respect. I mean, just to put in the work to show up. I mean, things can happen on race day, slips, falls, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, just just to show up. Respect. Absolutely, absolutely. So we were doling out kudos. We certainly were receiving lots of kudos on the Low Tie Boys Strava Club. So head on over to Strava, search Low Tie Boys, and join in the fun over yeah. there. Now for this week in swim run. 
All right, now for the news. We're keeping it in America this time. And it doesn't happen often. Probably shouldn't happen too often, but it definitely doesn't happen often enough that there's two swarm runs taking place in the United States this weekend. Can you imagine that? Over in Washington, Odyssey Swarm Run Orcas Island is taking place on Sunday, September 17th. We love this race. Can't recommend it enough. If you're waiting for the last minute to sign up, now's your time to shine. Go for it. Figure it out. Make it out there. You won't regret it. We guarantee it. Now, over in Massachusetts, we mentioned it earlier, New England Endurance Events is hosting its inaugural Swarm Run Cape Cod. This this race takes place in the town of Wellfleet and has been sold out for a couple of months, which is super cool. So make sure you check out the podcast next week for our race report Ooh. on this new race. Over in the UK, Swim Run Oxford is taking place on Sunday, September 17th. Thank you, Mike Phillips, for putting this race on our radar. It looks like a fun one. So head over there if you're able to support this local event. Blanket, statement, public service announcement, mm-hmm. announcement from the Low Tide Boys. Support your local swim runs. We need as many yep. of these as possible. We're really going to grow this thing. So if you're in the UK, if you're around Oxford, if you're studying at Oxford, congratulations. no excuse. <laughs> congratulations, <laughs> nerd. Um, that's it for this week. Reach out to us if there's anything you'd like for us to mention on the show. Yes, now for a little bit of show business. So if you haven't already, please consider leaving us a rating and a review for the show on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen on. Also, we have a YouTube channel, and we've been trying to do some more video stuff for you. All of our podcasts are on YouTube, so you can just listen if you listen on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But we've been filming our race reports, specifically the Casco Bay one and then the one at Atala. They seem to get more views than our regular stuff, so we assume that that means people like it. But we have YouTube over there. But leave us a review, Apple Podcasts. Find our podcast, go in there, review whatever stars, leave a thing, and that really helps us get the word out about it and whatever boost that does to the algorithms, we will take it. But thank you kindly. Yeah. So it just helps the word get around for folks. It does. It does. So if you're listening to this right now, just pause it. Give us a five-star You can go in there. Review. You don't have to pause. You can still listen. Oh, okay. And you could probably Even still better. do it. Yeah. Even better. Add it up. Like here, oh, oh, there's the boys are so funny and they're just so great. I love swim run five stars. There you go. Now, on to our conversation with Dr. Justin Ross. Yeah, it was really great to chat with Dr. Ross. I've been, you know, if you've heard this show at all this year, I've been totally fangirling on him. As we mentioned at the outset, we discovered Justin at the start of the year and began incorporating his methodology in our build up to Atala. In this conversation, we chatted about his background and approach, the importance of self-awareness, and what it means to be, quote-unquote, in it, which we were definitely in it and experiencing what that's like last week, and so much more. Um, You'll really want to get your notepads out for this one because this is chock full of just, you know, this is is the next frontier in in training, which is just training your physical system, training your mental system, along with nutrition and strength and all that stuff. So, yeah, this was... uh, I really enjoyed this one, Chipper. I, I did too. And I think we, when we wrapped on this one, it was literally like we were leaving the next day for Sweden or something. And I, we just were like, oh, that was so great. And it felt like a nice little bow on to us leaving to Sweden and the conversation that we have. And like Chris mentioned earlier in the show, literally during the, during Atala, we're in it. And I'm like, oh, we're in it now. And once you listen to the interview, you'll, you'll understand what, what that means. But um, really helpful and super applicable stuff that I, I really uh, found to be very helpful from, from Dr. Justin Ross. And I know you have been singing his praises, Chris, and you did his program earlier this year, and it seems to have, have worked well. So I'm, I'm going to be looking into that as well. But without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Dr. Justin Ross. He's also quite the endurance athlete himself. He's got chops. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't, uh, not too much humble bragging going on, but I know Leadville 100 mountain bike race, like he does some serious mm-hmm. endurance mm-hmm. stuff. So good on you, JR. Over and out. All right. Very excited.
excited for this conversation with the one and only Dr. Justin Ross. He's a performance psychologist, works with athletes of all walks and stripes, and I first learned about him in April from the Morning Shakeout podcast from our mutual friend Mara Frioli, and promptly signed up for his, his performance psychology course on Final Surge, and just found so much value in it. It really set up my entire year. I've been talking about it on the show um, all year since I discovered you, so long, long way of saying welcome to the show. Super stoked to have you on. Oh, man, it's a great pleasure to be here and uh yeah i can't wait to dive in yeah so so let's dive in at the beginning i mean when you were on the morning shakeout podcast you really kind of opened my eyes into you know there's this whole area of training that the way you describe it was really interesting because there's obviously you got to train your physical system but there's this whole school of thought on how to train your mental system which um i'd love for you to just get into that and just let's start from the top yeah for sure i mean i think you know regardless of sport you know, I think sport traditionally is focused so much on training the specifics of whatever it is that you're working on, whether that's a run program or a swim program or a bike program. Or both and in our <laughs> Or both in your case, yeah. But like what the evolution has been sort of sport-specific discipline and then strength training got a lot of attention and we started understanding the importance of strength training, not only for strength purposes, but for longevity purposes and for injury reduction purposes. Then nutrition sort of came along and said, you know, we need to be thinking about how this can optimize performance and recovery. And I've always thought about sort of the mental side is like the fourth wave of training, if you will. It's sort of like the, I don't know if it's the last frontier, but it's the final frontier that we have right now. There might be another <laughs> one later on. And so I think what we talk a lot about it, we hear so much about it, but nobody has really come forward and said, well, this is probably the way that we should think about training that system. Um, and so that's been a bit of my mission over the past few years is to think about like, well, what are like based on science and based on anecdotes from athletes, what are the things that athletes should be doing in their training to just improve not only their connection to sport, but to get the most out of it, knowing that the mind is often the thing that wants to quit before the body does. And, and the mind can talk us out of doing all kinds of things when really we probably have more to give physiologically. So that's kind of where this all started from, from my perspective. I know they're definitely, yeah. I mean, people, you know, when you talk to uh, lay, lay people about, Oh, you're doing X, Y, Z race and Oh, it's so long. And you'll, you'll always hear endurance athletes kind of throw around, I mean, it's easy to do it. It's just more of a mental thing. It's usually like the response there. And is that, and are you kind of, and the antidotes that you're getting from your athletes, is that kind of what, are you seeing that they're able to maybe unlock is not the best term to use, but are they able to sort of access more of their physical abilities by having, having their mind right, so to speak? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's absolutely part of it. I, I think the other big part of it in, the endurance world, again, regardless of your medium, is that at some point you're going to run into some proper discomfort. And your mind, so if you think about evolutionarily, our mind has probably been evolved to talk us out of doing dumb things, right? Like, hey, yeah. you, this is this hurts. You should maybe think about just sitting down for a while, right? Or this is getting uncomfortable. So are you sure you really want to continue? And that's going to happen again, regardless of what sport you're pursuing. And so being able to be prepared for that moment, to be aware of what happens specifically for you in that moment of discomfort or mounting fatigue, and then being skillful to be able to manage that is ultimately going to be the deciding factor in an endurance sport, whether or not you continue or whether or not you decide to slow down or stop. And for yeah. a lot of people, that makes or breaks your performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so that leads right into sort of our next question for you, which is, well, if this is, if this is true, which it is, how can you train your mind to accurately reflect, um, whether it's your expectations, what you're trying to achieve. And, and I mean, it seems to me, like, as you mentioned, that's sort of the last frontier. And that's what I've been doing all year is really trying to tap into, okay, I'm going to be running for two hours anyway. How do we not just turn this into working out the physical system, but also, hey, here's a great opportunity to think about something specific and work on something specific mentally. Yeah, I, I love that approach. I'm a big believer that, you know, your, your mind is coming with you no matter where you go in your life. And from that perspective, then every moment 
gives you an opportunity to either be sort of tapped into that, tuned into that, aware of that, and then discipline to work on that. So my starting point is always awareness, right? I have this, this tagline, you can't change what you're not aware of. And so any type of performance psychology platform starts by being aware of what's happened, what happens for you. And that's going to differ a little bit individually for each and every one of us. But the starting point is, you know, the next time you're out on that two hour run, can you take some time to be just very deeply aware of where your thoughts go, of where your mind drifts, of what you're paying attention to, of the voices that pop up, the narrative you have, the story you have. And importantly, can you bring awareness to be able to distinguish what what really starts to happen when it gets uncomfortable or you start fatiguing? What are the messages and the narrative that starts to creep up in those moments? Because ultimately, again, those are the moments that are going to be most critical to uh, to executing um, in in your ideal fashion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it also helps in terms of this is something that I that I've heard you talk about before. The idea of it's an opportunity to set um, what you term your performance standards for training. How are you going to approach the training? How are you going to approach um, the workout, and so to speak? Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about about what performance standards are and and how we can use them to essentially set our intention. And then follow up question to that is having you talk about the difference between outcome and process goals as it relates to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think almost every athlete that I know, especially in the endurance space has an outcome goal that they're chasing. Um, and they're important, right? They really anchor a lot of our, a lot of our plans and our training structure and, um, and our goals for the year you know, outcome goals are very specific things, you know, whether that's a time, you know, I'm trying to pursue this time in this event, or, you know, for chasing a top spot, a podium spot, like that's, that's a very specific outcome goal. And you either hit it or you don't, right? I either hit that time goal, I hit that podium spot, or I didn't, right? There's really no gray area there. And it's a beautiful thing to have outcome goals, but it can also get us in trouble. Because when we when we latch all of our identity onto that outcome goal. We're putting all our eggs in one basket. And when it goes well, it's amazing. And it's celebrated. And we hit a home run. It feels amazing. But when it doesn't go well, and sometimes it doesn't go well, because not because of our fault, but because the weather was tough or you know because competition just showed up that day and knocked us off the podium, um, we could be really crushed. And so we need to have a bit of a buffer. So the buffer is what we term performance standards. Performance standards are individually set ways of being that are, uh, that are distinct from outcome goals, but yet they, they really guide your attention, your attitude, your effort. And when you, when you latch onto performance standards, it gives you the best chance to ultimately reach your outcome goals. So the, the two that I see work the best, these are the two that I hold, at least right now, these are the ones that work really well for me are, Rise above, which is sort of a mantra, but rise above for me is sort of a cue to, you know, when you get uncomfortable, when it, when it gets hard or when I'm, I'm on the bike a lot these days and I'm riding with people who are, they, they're more talented than me. They've been riding longer than I have. When I think rise above, it's because I'm doubting like, oh, I don't, I shouldn't be up here. I shouldn't be with mm-hmm. these guys. These guys are going to kick my ass. They're way better than I am. But, oh, rise above that thought and keep going. And the other is honor the spirit of the workout or honor the spirit of the event. Meaning every workout or every event has some type of energy behind it, right? So the classic example I always reference is if you're run training and you've got like 10 by 800 on the track, like, you know what that's supposed to feel like, you know, it's going to be hard and the last couple are going to be really challenging. And maybe by the time I get to six, I'm already off my pace, right? I'm, I'm just not hitting my paces. Well, you have a choice. Can you honor the spirit of that workout to continue and to persevere and to give it the right effort level, even though you may be off a little bit on your pace. And if you do those two things repeatedly, it gives you the best chance for success. Same thing in a racing environment, right? Can you honor the spirit of what it takes in that moment to continue? Even if you're off your race goals or, you know, you see first place just slightly pulling away, can you stay with the right effort? I think that's really, really important. And then underneath that is what we term process goals. So process goals are the day in, day out, 100% controllable elements to your training, 
right? Are you, if, if a workout is written for one hour, are you doing that one hour? Or are you cutting it short at 45 minutes? Are you honoring all the elements of your life as an athlete that are crucial to success? You know, things like honoring rest and recovery and stretching and mobility work and strength training and uh, making sure that you're sleeping appropriately and making sure that you're working on the mental game. You can answer yes or no to those every single day. But when you tier them up, process goals on a daily basis, very individually, uh, personally relevant performance standards, meaningful outcome goals, it all gives you the, the best likelihood of being successful. Yeah, and then you start sort of stacking those, both of those things and, and stacking those wins over and over and over, you're going you're gonna to see improvements on, on all fronts. Um, and there, and I think that's, that's something that Chris and I, you know, we've been sort of on a, on a bit of a, a training journey over the last, uh, <laughs> I don't know how long has it been, three years now, since 2020, yeah. three and a half years. And I think that is a, a shift about, I, I love how you spoke to kind of honoring the spirit of the workout is some days you just don't have the gas for the 10 by 800 and you're not going to nail your, your split. But can you give it the 90% or the 95% effort of what you have left to, to execute on that workout? And I have felt when we've been able to do that, we're leaving the workout in a more positive outcome of like, hey, that was a great workout. Yeah, we didn't necessarily get it. Like if you look at the Garmin, it didn't hit it exactly. But we feel really good about the effort that we put down. And sort of that shift in mindset has really... Um, I feel it's really put a lot of wind in our sails in terms of our training um, that we've experienced over over the, the, the last several years. Absolutely. I mean, it, it sounds like what that does is that it it builds an authentic layer of trust, right? That you can look back upon and say, gosh, I remember a lot of these moments and these moments where, okay, we were off where we wanted to be numbers wise, but we still we still put in the effort and we still put in the energy. And, you know, we call this, we call all of that self-efficacy, which is just fancy language for it's our underlying belief system and what we think is possible or what we think our limits are. And the greatest builder of self-efficacy is our own personal history. When we can look back over time and say, gosh, I remember I got this light bulb moment two and a half years ago where it sucked. It was raining. It was cold and we were off our paces. But by golly, we did it anyway. We stuck with that effort level. And when, when you get time to really have to lay it down because there's a race on the line or an event on the line or a goal you're chasing, it's really important to be able to look back over your training log and not just look at the fancy numbers and the Garmin data that says like, yeah, you, you deserve to be here, but really all those performance standards that you executed, right? That prove to you that you, you are strong and capable and can persevere even when, uh, when it doesn't seem likely. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. I mean, I even think like once you've developed that self-efficacy, one thing that I've seen, so we're <clears throat> at time of recording, we're literally about to leave to go to Sweden to do the Swim Run World Championship, which is one yeah. of the hardest single day endurance events in the world. Also one of the coolest. That's an editorial <laughs> comment, but I, I honestly believe that. And, you know, it's been a lot of training, super long days. Our last block was crazy. Last training block was crazy, but <clears throat> there were some workouts where I was like, you know what? I'm super tired. I need to protect my body. And honestly, having done all this work all this year gave me sort of the license to be like, you know what? You know how I'm honoring this workout by either not doing it or dialing it back to make sure that I'm taking care of everything else that's going on so I can, you know, so, so I, so I thought that was interesting that it almost like the inverse was also true. Yeah. Because you, Underneath all of that was a deep layer of trust, right? Trust in being able to, to listen to your body and listen to the required responsiveness of the day and to look back and, and really believe like, no, we're, we're adequately prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a confidence thing too, that I guess trust and confidence kind of go, definitely go hand in hand yeah. in hand there. But like, Hey, you know that with a training plan, nailing one workout is not going to make or break your race. Just the same as not executing on one workout will will as well. But um, I love your your comment around your your rise above mantra that you have. And whenever I hear mantras, I'm like, oh, that's so great. I wish I could think of something so so like cool to like just like spout <laughs> off like whenever. How do you kind of think about that? And you know, I think maybe the most famous one is shut up legs. 
Oh, um, right. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> pretty good one. Yeah. So, and, and sometimes, you know, I personally, I do kind to find myself kind of diving into some of that negative self-talk about, oh man, you know, like, oh, you like cussing at myself or like really belittling myself mentally when I'm not able, when I see Chris pulling away on the trail and I'm like, oh man, you, you got to be keeping up with him kind of thing. How do you, which is, I'd have to imagine someone in, in your profession would advise against that sort of thing on a regular <laughs> basis. But um, how do you, how do you deal with that kind of stuff and how can, uh, not just me, but how can others that have sort of negative, more negative self-talk how can you kind of help correct some of that and not have that be your only sort of mantra, uh, yeah. essentially? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, always sort of, this is, may sound weird, but like con- congratulate yourself for having negative self-talk because in a lot of ways it shows two things. One, it turns out you're a human and that's how our <laughs> minds operate. And two, I usually reframe it as um, some version of like, oh, congratulations, you've now arrived, right? Because now you're in it. Right. Yeah. You've made it to this point now based on time or based on effort or based on being surrounded by competition that you have some decisions to make. So congratulate yourself for being in this environment and celebrate it because uh, there aren't many environments like this that we get to really play and explore. So it's a really cool thing. And if you can if you can do that, if you can level set it by some sort of statement of congratulations, I've arrived, it then gives you this this opportunity right? It's, it's not negative thing. It's not a fear-based thing. It's a celebration that your mind is operating in a very normal way in that moment. Now, the second part of that is then you probably want to evaluate negativity is usually coming from some place of threat, right? Okay. Something about this moment feels threatening and maybe it's okay. Chris is pulling away. And so I feel like, gosh, I'm a threat to being able to be successful in this workout or to being successful in the race or my outcome goals are starting to feel as though I'm not going to hit them. So the second step is to evaluate what threat may be happening in that moment for you. And then the third is to go back to really being able to identify what, okay, well, what's in your control in this moment? Like, can you still control your effort? Can you, can you maintain the effort you're on? Can you speed up? Cause you can't control him up ahead on the trail, but you can control your decision-making in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so some version of finding what that really looks like in a meaningful way to you is, is ultimately what this is about. You know, I mean, so so that exact that exact example. If you flip it, so I took a, you know, about 114 days off of swimming, which was a real dumb idea to do when you're training for this for this thing. Chipper had been swimming the entire time, and I remember my first swim back. Chipper's in the lane next to me, and he's just running circles, you know, swimming circles around me. And I'm like, man, I have a long way to go, and I was kind of down on myself. At that point, I already started listening to the class and I was like, you know what? This cannot stand because this isn't productive for anybody. So literally the next time when I went to swim, I was I essentially got into, uh, into a mental space where I was like, I'm really proud of Chipper because he's been putting a lot of work and it shows and that's great for our team. Um, and I know that I and I know I have work to do. <laughs> right. So like I know that I need to put in the work and I've got to put my head down. Oh, and by the way, I love swimming. <laughs> You know, oh, and by the way, it's such a blessing to get to swim in this awesome pool that we swim at now with like redwood trees and it's outdoor. It's great. Everything about it is great. The only thing that was negative was my approach to it. Mm-hmm. And literally from that first, well, this might be a couple of reasons for this, but from that first swim to that second swim, I think I shaved off like 15 seconds per hundred just yeah. from one swim or another. And again, that might have just been, that was going to happen anyway, but you had fins like, on too. Yeah, <laughs> paddles and fins yeah, the whole time cool. but Storm you know cool, yeah. don't, don't, don't worry about that part but but yeah like the idea that like my the, I set my intention before that swim and I was able to just just the, the self the negative talk just completely went away because it was like I was happy for Chipper that's good for me too because he can pull me in the water but it was also like I can't control anything that, that he's doing he was able to swim for a long time where I wasn't able to swim so yeah um, I mean it just works. It was so helpful that I think like after that happened, I think that might've been the first time we talked about it on the show at length because it was, it was, it was really just like expanding in terms of what I thought was possible within myself. And the pool, as you know, cause you've done triathlon. I mean, it's black line therapy the whole time. You can really get in your head for 45 minutes to hour and a half, however long your swim is. Right. So, so yeah. So I just wanted to to give that actual example of everything that you're saying and how it 100% worked. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, in terms of one, being aware of your thoughts, 
right? Again, none of this can happen if you're not aware of what's what's occurring in your mind. Two, thinking about negativity is restrictive in our lives. And it's going to narrow our focus and it's a bit of an anchor. Last thing you want when you're in the water is an anchor around (laughs) you, right? Bad news bears, right? So if you think about, okay, I'm aware negativity is restrictive and this is an anchor, right? Positivity is expansive in the sense that it opens opportunity. And from positivity, you can focus on gratitude. You can focus on opportunity that this event or this training is giving you. You can focus on joy. You can focus on all kinds of things. And you can think about it, it's, it's sort of like a balloon or it's maybe a little bit like a tugboat. Right. It's not it's not a speedboat, but it's going to help pull you forward. And again, we all have a duty to to bring awareness to our thoughts and then to pay attention to, okay, this is negativity. It's anchoring me down. How do I get to positivity in some way? Now, the trick is we can't we can't make this up. It has to be genuine for you. You can't just pretend like everything is unicorns and rainbows and then expect great things to happen. It it has to be personally relevant for you in that moment in order for it to work. Yeah, love that. Mm. Love that. Now, let me ask you, Chipper and I, we're, we're, teammate, we're teammates. We've been teammates for in Swim Run since 2018 and buddies, training buddies in life for almost over a decade at this point. Um, how, how does your advice change or does it change when you're dealing, you know, we have a shared shared outcome goal. We have this, again, a time of recording a week from Today we'll be done with the with the world championship. Um, we have a lofty outcome goal to do this really hard event. Um, does your advice change when it's when it's like, hey, I got to take care of him. We have to make sure that we're taking care of each other, and you know, my pace is going to be limited by him. His pace is going to be limited by me, and we have to, you know, essentially try to lift each other up to get through this thing. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, communication is a huge added element to yeah. sort of a team uh, event like this. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that um, that you've been working on that is is really, really vital. And then making sure that you are fully aware. And even before the event has started, you have a bit of a playbook. So you know what the other person needs in terms of encouragement. And you're aware of what types of, of statements or attitudes are going to you know, anchor the other person down. And so it's really important that you go into that. You can do all the physical training in the world. You could have everything dialed in. But if you don't have that communication dialed in and that rapport to be able to handle it together, uh, that could certainly uh, be a, be an, a, something that kind of blows up your day. Yeah, I obviously Chris and I are, you know, psychic tethers all the time. I was I was going <laughs> to ask the same uh, partner communication uh, nice. question uh, line of questioning as well. But um, yeah, and and I think when, you know, we get a lot of new people to the sport, there's a lot of unknowns there and they're like, oh, well, you know, the person that's my partner uh, runs an eight minute mile and I run a seven minute mile and they swim, I swim slower. And it's like, that's less of the problem. The problem is what we have we've seen in our experience is really just getting your goals on the same page. So that way there's not a mismatch of like, hey, partner A is like trying to win the thing and partner B is trying to like make a GoPro video and take cool pictures and just look at all the fish in the in the water all the time sort of thing. Yeah. So that's like getting on the same page there. And I think your points are, are really well taken around communication and really understanding obviously the more time you can have with your partner the more opportunities there are for these sort of conversations if we've been you know training together on endurance training for a decade i think we have we have some good stuff we have a good good rolodex deep deep base deep base to go off of (laughs) but um i i love how you you highlighted those things so like really understanding and i mean i guess it makes the most sense to just be really explicit about Hey, if I am dragging behind or I'm in a bad way, don't give me the like tough love coach, like, oh, suck it up, let's go kind of thing. Is that how you would you would sort of approach those things? Is really just kind of lay it out on the table, like these things do well for me and these things I do not do well with? Absolutely. I think that's exactly right. And I think you you're right. Going back to goals up front is really important to make sure that you're on the same page. You know, any any big discrepancies that you have about what you're pursuing are going to be irritation points and irritation points are not what you want in any endurance event because that one little pebble in your shoe becomes a, a 
pretty big problem, you know, later in the race. Yeah. So making sure that you're on the same page and then, yeah, having this, this really honest conversation as you go into it here, here's what I need from you. And actually here's what I don't need from you. I I need you to not say these things, right? These are things that are going to trigger me because they're going to fuel negativity or they're going to fuel judgment. And so I really need this type of approach from you. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that advice is, is always really well taken. And, and I think, um, you know, our swim run relationship, and we've mentioned this on the show a bunch of times, you know, it starts from a, from a place of love and friendship. And that's what the most important thing throughout all this stuff. So, you know, nothing, that's the thing that's never jeopardized, um, no matter what we're doing. Um, but, but when you get into, okay, we're, we're clearly in outcome goal territory. <laughs> yep. How, you know, what advice do you have when you are chasing your goal, whatever that might be, and things start going sideways? How do you, again, besides like doing the work in training, but let's assume some people are coming to this fresh and it's like, okay, race is happening. What, what, t- what advice do you have for folks on how they can still yeah. enjoy the experience and not just not even be conscious of what's going on because they're so upset with their performance. Yeah. I think so maybe part of it is, you know, I'll I'll sometimes ask people this question as they get ready for a really big event. What are you willing to risk? And Hmm. for a partner event like this, you know, this may be a conversation for for you fellas to have, like, what what are you willing to risk? Are you willing to risk your friendship um, and your love for one another that you've had for a decade? Are you yeah, willing no. to risk somebody being really uncomfortable because, you know, you're the weaker link in one leg and you really need to lay it down in order to catch up? Yeah. So coming to terms with that clearly is really important. And for anybody who's running a solo event, it's the same thing, you know? So I think about this a lot, like in the, in the marathon community, what are you willing to risk? You know, cause at mile 20, it's going to get hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. And you could take the deal and the deal is, oh, it's uncomfortable. I'm going to slow down. Well, what you're risking is then you're going to have psychological regret later in exchange for physical safety or uh, reduced discomfort now. Or you flip that and you're like, no, I'm going to go for it. Okay. Then what you're risking is the potential to blow up because you're really on the red line in exchange for maybe some really deep satisfaction and playing with that moment. And so in events like this, I think that's the question. Are are you willing to risk, you know, the podium spot, right? Being top of the box in a world championship event. Are you willing to risk your friendship? Are you willing to risk risk certain layers of discomfort? You you both have to be clear about that going in because it may, it may be called into task at some point during the event. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I mean, I I feel like, you know, I, I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. I always thought about it more in terms of like, and, and maybe we're, we're saying the same thing in terms of an, an opportunity for, for bravery mm-hmm. or for courage. Mm-hmm. Like when you hit mile 20, it's like, all right, are you going to be courageous and ride that line where you could totally blow up or you could do the thing or are you going to, you know, sort of dial it back? Um, but yeah, I think that the way you described it is, kind of takes off sort of like that uh i feel like this is so loaded to say oh be brave be courageous because you know this isn't yeah there's <laughs> no also one's making a, you do this yeah <laughs> a negative piece of like oh are we gonna go for it are we gonna be brave or be courageous and it's like oh well i don't feel like i have it then it's like oh then there's a negative right piece the inverse about like yeah, yeah the inverse is just um cowardice right yeah. so yeah right this is where performance standards can really be helpful because in that moment, it's like saying, okay, well, we you, you, going for it could mean, you know, if you run like eight minute pace or seven minute pace or whatever that is for you, but staying on that threshold level, right? Or it could be saying like, oh, I need to, I need to really rise above and push into that knowing that that's, there's a chance that that could completely blow up in my face. And I'm not going to be able to continue. I'm going to have to really dial it back. And for a, an event like this, that's a two person team, you each have to have that conversation about like, okay, what are you willing to risk in terms of pursuing that outcome goal or the potential for pursuing what may happen in your relationship? Um, and being really clear about that, um, before, you know, before the gun goes off. Yeah. 
and I think we we have a good we have that sort of established, I guess, Chris and I, but we also have these sort of check-ins like during the race or if we're being if we're able to have be more racy about like hey, you know, he'll look be like or I'll say, "Hey, I'm I can give more or be just explicitly communicative during the race about like, you know, it's it's a known between Chris and I, he he can usually put more pace than what I'm able to give. So if I can sort of, you know, let the reins go a little bit, say, hey, I got more to give if you want to go, sort of give him permission to to do that and, and sort of vice versa in, in different areas. That's how we sort of manage that during the race because swim run deals you a lot of curveballs <laughs> during during a race and there has to be a lot of you gotta be able to move uh, and be flexible uh, as things come come across. So, like having yeah, having a, a deep understanding of what you're willing to to give is is going to be important to help a more fluid experience, I guess, during the race. Yeah, and I, having that check in of being able to say I I can give more is really important, right? That can then set pace and tone. But having that communication dialed in early is is critical. Yeah. On the on the opposite side of that, I guess, how do you kind of advise? Because I know sometimes it it is tough for a lot of people to ask for help. I'll, I'm putting myself in, in this camp, but let's say it's going too hot, or, or you're feeling like you're getting drug along, and you're you're taking on water. You're, you know you don't want to be uh, taken on. How do you sort of suggest like approaching that if it, in in that time when people have have problems i guess asking asking for help and sort of speaking up about hey this is this is too much for me or this is going into an area i don't i don't want to go in yeah um how, yeah, how do you sort of advise that yeah i mean i think usually the concern with that is usually that there's a associated weakness that somebody attaches to yeah saying we need to slow down and so you know human none of us like to feel sort of weak and so if we have that tie we're not likely to reach out for help or to ask for paces to slow down. So a lot of times the work up front is decoupling the need to slow down or the need to get support. We need to decouple the idea that that is a sign of weakness, right? It, it's not. I mean, we all have physiological limits. And if you're you know, right there or exceeding them or you're having an equipment issue or whatever it may be, to be able to say like, hey, hold up, we got we to gotta dial it back a little bit. The only way we really have permission to do that is if we've done the internal work to decouple that as a sign of weakness. Now we could take that, we could we could use it as a launching pad and really have this bigger conversation around how that applies to mental health more generally speaking. But that's often a culprit that gets in the way of um, of seeking help. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, because because it's almost like if you cannot, if you can just turn it into something non-dual. Like yes, it can be both and. You could need help, but it's also doesn't mean that you're weak, kind of thing. And just and just sort of understand that that it's more of a journey, and you know, doing what's required is more important than however you might be feeling about it. Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, there's all these examples of we we get help in so many ways without it being a bother. You know, like I take my car in to get the oil changed. Right. I don't I don't consider that a sign of weakness. I like my car to run the way I like it to run <laughs> yeah. bikes to a mechanic, you know, to get them tuned up because, I, you know, I like that. And if I break my arm, I'm going to go get an x-ray and then a cast and I go to the dent, you know, like all these there's hundreds of them that we all do. And yet when it comes to like in the endurance world, like, hey, guys, I need to slow down. Like, oh, we're so afraid of saying that or like, hey, I really could use some help with this thing I'm struggling with. Like, oh, we're. We're so afraid to say that. So I think it's, again, that internal work, that internal awareness around decoupling whatever kind of label we slap on it. Um, and if we can do that, then it's not as painful to get the support we need. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You know, this this is going to sound like a random question, but, you know, you you do individual coaching. You you know, you work with with patients, you work with groups, you do speaking, you do all this stuff. I'm curious, kind of what's the most common um, I guess <laughs> process. Yeah. Or, or like I, I, I'm trying to not make it sound like super clinical, but when people come to you for help, like what's the most common symptoms or, or, or what, what are they usually looking for your help for? Yeah. It, it really depends on the context. So right now, you know, as we sit here, I'm doing a lot of work with teams, um, 
throughout the country, sort of like amateur running teams getting ready for fall events, you know, primarily half marathon and marathon. And before every session, especially before the first one, I send out a polling question, right? And it's a very open-ended question. What are you hoping to learn from taking the series? And then I put it up on the screen for the team to see. And 90% of the responses all funnel towards one of two things. One, some version of mental strength. I, I have this, I want to be mentally stronger. Yeah. And two, I want to know how to handle the situation of discomfort or fatigue better, right? Because at some point, like we've talked about, it gets uncomfortable, you start fatiguing, and the mind starts to want to talk you out of that. And so for endurance athletes, kind of proactively speaking, that's a huge avenue for things that I try to coach on individually in, in a team capacity. Often where I see individuals and people are coming to me for just one-on-one, -on -one, more confidential type of work, um, it's often related to um, coming back from an injury or an illness. And there's a lot of anxiety about returning back to sport for one reason or another, or to they're noticing that something about the way that they're approaching their sport mentally is interfering with their performance. They feel sort of that classic block. I'm not able to reach the potential that I feel like I have, or I once did. Um, or a lot of times people come to me as, you know, we're all human beings first, athletes second. Um, there's comfort in knowing that, oh, if I come there's a professional who knows the sports side of things. We don't have to talk about the sports side of things, but I got this depression thing going on or this anxiety or this eating disorder or this relationship or this stress or like, holy hell, my family's a disaster and I need some help, but I can also feel comfortable. I don't have to explain my sport to you. So I get a lot of that as well. It's interesting. It's really insightful. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess it's not surprising that that's the most common thing people are trying to get use this type of work to get some sort of performance advantage, right? Like to try to unlock something within themselves and, you know, go dark when they need to go dark. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so, so I guess the natural follow-up question to that is, is, well, what, what, what would you prescribe for someone who's like, you know, sort of generally speaking, again, you don't need to give all the tools of the, the trade away, but, but what do you prescribe as a, like you mentioned, becoming more self-aware can get good understanding what's going on, but sort of beyond that, um, what would be your sort of first couple things that you tell folks to, to try? Yeah. So the, the, the first thing just to expand on the awareness, um, that really is step one. And I'll often prescribe, um, if you will prescribe in air quotes, you know, taking this, this deep awareness with you in not only your whole life, but specifically in your life as an athlete. So as you're getting ready for your workout of the day, like what are you noticing happening in your mind? As you're doing your workout, what are you noticing happening? As you put your workout away or you move on to the next part of your day, what's happening in your thoughts? And to track this stuff. Now, most of us are using some type of tracking platform, Final Surge or Training Peaks or Strava or Garmin Connect or whatever. There's areas now for you to be able to write notes. If you have a coach, you have this interaction through that platform that way. But write three or four sentences. Oh, here's what I noticed about my thoughts today. You know what? I got really dark when it got really hard and my mind wanted to quit. And um, here's what I did about it. Awareness is always the first step. Adjunctive to that, what can help people develop awareness is some type of mindfulness or meditation practice. And that's usually done outside the confines of their, of their training or their practice. You know, simple three to five minutes a day to sort of just sit and pause Focus on your breathing, focus on awareness of what's happening around you in your environment, helps you train that awareness skill. That's really, really important. From there, it's then sort of getting a better understanding of what it is that we want to work on. And there's all kinds of ways we could think about how you talk to yourself, how you, um, you know, appraise data in your body, how you change your attention, your focus, your concentration, and all of those things are going to have different impacts at different times. But a big part of it is helping people, you know, bring awareness to, okay, where are the pain points? And then how do we help you develop skills around improving whatever that may be for you? Yeah. And I've, I, um, what I have, I've been, I've been working on some mindfulness shout out to the Peloton app. I don't know if you, uh, yes, <laughs> how you feel about that, but whatever. I've got, it, it's, I've got a Peloton uh, in my basement. Yes, good things. 
But but one one thing that I've really noticed about it, and I think this is sort of when you know when I get those negative thoughts during a workout, it's a lot of it's like how can I stifle this this like really negative thing out? Like I need this thought, I need to smash it and make it not happen. As opposed to what I've kind of been learning, and I'd, I'd like your take on this is like, hey, the thought thoughts are going to come and go all the time, and you can't really stop them. So being able to sort of recognize, hey, here is a thought, whether it's negative or whatever, sort of take it and just just let it go and make space for, for the next one. Is that sort of how you, you know, I guess going dark. And when I hear that, I think of like shutting, shutting off the brain sort of, and like not, you know, just really focusing. But when those thoughts are, are coming in constantly, is that sort of how you recommend the, the approach be? Uh, yeah. I know this is a really, very tactical question. No, that, that question makes applicable sense. to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is, I think this is humanity in general. Cause I, what I hear so often is people come in, and we fall into this trap of like, it's like, oh, I know, I know. Let me just not have these dark yeah. negative thoughts. If I could <laughs> yeah. just get them to not show up, I'd be great. And so the analogy I use um, is it's about like how we think about learning language. So, you know, this is a weird question. How did you learn how to speak English? It just sort of it's it's it just sort of happened, I guess. It's what I was taught, I suppose. Right. It's a weird question, right? Let's just be yeah. honest. So it's a weird question, but that's the answer. Is, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, my family of origin spoke it. It was spoken in my community. It was taught in school. So I guess I just learned English. So the follow-up question is: Then how did you learn to speak to yourself in your mind the way that you do? And the answer is very much the same. Like, gosh, I don't, I don't know. It just kind of formulated over the course of my life, right? based on the interactions I had, based on my community, based on opportunities I had. So the, the analogy is this. So I, I'm an, a monolingual speaker. I speak a little Spanish, but not a lot. If at my age I wanted to learn Spanish, I could, right? There's, there's nothing um, getting in the way of me learning how to speak Spanish. The first thing I wouldn't try to do is I wouldn't try to unlearn English. <laughs> and in fact, I can't, it's not possible. But, yeah. you know, barring a traumatic brain injury or something, I cannot yeah. unlearn English. The problem that so many people fall into when they pursue psychological training is they come in and they're like, hey, I know, I know, yeah, I'm going to unlearn English, right? I've been doing all this work to push it away, to unlearn it. And now I'm bothered that I can't unlearn English. So they have two problems, right? They can't unlearn English and they're pissed off that they can't unlearn English. You have to think about your mind just like you would think about learning a second language or a third language as an adult, right? It's again, awareness, right? One plus one is two, but uno y uno is dos, right? And so in the moment, you can't get rid of one plus one. You just can't, but you can have the skills to be able to say, ah, I'm noticing it. I also have this other way of talking to myself. I have this other way of appraising it. And it can also, mm -hmm. it could be two and dos at the same time. And the more we can approach the mind from that perspective, the, just the more expansive we have. Again, the beauty, go back to mindfulness. The beauty of mindfulness is that it helps bring that awareness. So when we can do it when we're still and we're quiet, we enhance that skill to do it when it's busy and noisy and those voices are full of doubt or anxiety or judgmental. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And it's, I mean, yeah. and I think to that, so... As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I took your uh, performance psychology class on Final Surge, so found it super helpful. I've referred it to anyone who wants. <laughs> I've been sending people that way. Thank you. Um, I'm curious. I mean, it was it was such a good idea to kind of do something like that, where it's like, hey, just overlay this on your physical training. Here's a mental training you can do. It takes about five to ten minutes a day, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's almost like reading like a daily devotional with a task at the end. Um, where did that idea come from? And I guess just a selfish question. Has it been successful? Like have people been signing up for that? Because it was just so great for yeah. me. Yeah, it, it really started, you know, I've been playing around with this idea for years um, around like, how do we actually give people the, you know, the advice and the science and some daily practices for doing this work? Because, you know, the fourth wave performance psychology has gotten a lot of attention in the past few years. People talk about mental toughness. They talk about this stuff, but they don't really help you understand how to apply it to your training. So, I, you know, a friend of mine and an ultra endurance coach, uh, Jason Coop, who's in the Springs, 
we've been talking for years and he's like, man, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. You got to write a book. And I'm like, I don't think I want to write a book. I don't think that's the right platform (laughs) for this. I think there's got to be another way. And then finally at the beginning of the year, I was just like, you know what, damn it. I'm just going to put it on. I'm going to start with training peaks. I'm going to put together some thoughts and I'm going to see what happens. And so then um, I put it on training peaks and I put it on final surge. The tricky part about it is that it has to be broad enough to cover a wide variety of athlete type and endurance type and sport pursuit. And it's hard to be able to really pinpoint some of those workouts with the actuality of their training. You know, ideally what happens, my hope for athletes is that you take this 12 week class, you learn the foundations of, of how your mind is working. And then you have to do some sort of individual skill matching right? So like, oh, okay, these are the days where I really need to focus on the skill of attentional control, or I need to really focus on my version of mental toughness and how I apply that. But that takes a little bit of of nuance and and individual approach through the process. Yeah. um, You know, and I would definitely, again, highly recommend those courses. I mean, again, it was just such a, it was such an eye opener. And I think Chipper was probably getting tired of me getting all soulful on him and stuff on our on our joint runs, but but yeah, too I mean, heady, Chris. Too but heady, I think man. I think if 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 Chipper can, you know, I don't know if you want to speak to this, but um, I mean, I've noticed a change in just my approach to training and honestly life in general through this work, mm-hmm. and um, sort of my my gratitude level is much higher. And you know, we have this huge race coming up, and I've been trying to kind of get into this headspace where you know, a couple of years ago we did a race, and I had a, an amazing race, and you know, trying to trying to diagnose, okay, what was it about that experience that was so positive that I performed so well? And you know, it turns out, you know, when I studied it on a run, it was like, oh, I was there with one of my best friends. Some of my other friends did swim run for the first time. We stayed in this awesome house. It was like, you know, everything about it was just so so much fun that's what really unlocked that potential for me. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to sort of even go back and kind of do a postmortem on that without kind of having done this work. So I think, I think when you're saying like you, like going through, going through a course like this can be helpful, but then once you have it, it's, you constantly have to keep applying it because it isn't like, all right, now I know Spanish. I don't need to like practice with anyone because I know it. Right. 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 Yeah. It's like, right. It's, it's like fitness, right? Like you don't go to the gym once and then walk out and be like, yeah, all right, fit. We're good. Life goes. <laughs> it dropped the 10 pounds I needed to lose. Yeah, right. <laughs> One session. Yeah. Totally. It's like, it's, it's consistent. And I think that the beautiful thing that I've learned from so many endurance athletes is there, you know, we have our personal reasons for pursuing this, whatever discipline we're in, it, it usually provides a fair amount of meaning for us. And we have this, this sort of lifelong goal of being active human beings. And that may change, the media may change, but as long as we're continuing to pursue sport, we're finding satisfaction, we're using it as a way of testing curiosity in our limits, there's always going to be an opportunity to have that awareness of what's happening psychologically and to use that to better understand yourself. And for me, I think the, the real, like really what I'm driving at here is hopefully helping people live better, more meaningful, more satisfied lives in general. Because if you could take that home, you know, to your partner and your family and your community, you know, the great saying, rising tide floats all boats. I mean, I I think if we could do that for one another, like, man, maybe we could, maybe you could raise the level of things around here just, just a little bit and everybody benefits from that. I mean, I think, I think we just have to, yeah, we got to end it there. End it there. (laughs) No, there's no topping that. Ladies ladies and gentlemen, his name is Dr. Justin Ross. When you quote JFK at the end, when you, it's okay. www.drjustinross.com performance psychologist, highly recommend his performance psychology course. He also has a guided meditation, race day guided meditation practice. We'll put the link Ooh. in the show notes. I love that. I just found it um, a few weeks ago. We'll download that and listen to it a couple times, and it's 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 fantastic. So, Justin, thank you so much for taking the time. This was awesome. Really appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. And man, I, I wish you guys just the best time and and best of luck. And I hope um, you know opportunity window comes together, and it all just is a beautiful day for you guys. So good luck. Thank Thank you you so much, and thank you for your time. My pleasure. Cheers. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, 
and leave her what rating or review since that's the best way to help other people discover the show and the sport of swim run. Check out our website, lowtideboys.com. That's boys with a Z for swim run resources, including gear guides, tips, how-to videos, and so much more. Make sure to check out our meme page at the Low Tide Boys on Instagram. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, send us a DM or email us at lowtideboys at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Riding Easy Records for our show music and, of course, our wives for their support and tolerance of our swim run and other activities. Lots of activities. Lots of activities. <laughs> Finally, you can support our efforts on Patreon. Until next time, get out there and go for a swim. Then a run. And then a swim. Then another run. Then another swim. Then run some more. Just keep going. Let's go. And then stop at some point because, you know. And fuel. Don't forget to fuel. Got to fuel, too. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs>